I showed up to work earlier this week with a pair of shorts and a t-shirt on because it was 100 degrees, and I was also carrying an umbrella in spite of the fact that the weatherman said it wouldn't rain. Lo and behold, everybody else got soaking wet, and I didn't. Sometimes, you don't need to trust somebody else, just trust yourself. From the Vault 319 Recording Room, this is the Tweakwell Podcast. What's up, everybody? It's Jake Alexander, the voice in the void, the lone wolf, your favorite host with the lisp. How the hell are you? I hope you are all doing well. Welcome to another episode of the Tweakwell Podcast. Happy Friday to you. I hope you are all doing well. I hope you've had a good week. I have too, despite the craziness that is Michigan weather. 100 degrees one day, 90 degrees another day, and then the next thing you know, it's down into the 50s almost by the time the night falls. At, at what can you say? It's Michigan weather. It tends to happen. And uh, I, as long as I've lived here, it's, it's been that way. So I'm just going to have to grin and bear it and deal with it. Uh, I don't care what the calendar says. It says it's uh, it's it's still summer, but it's starting to feel a bit like fall. And that's OK. We have a lot of have a lot of things you can do in the fall around Michigan. Uh, today is going to be a fast episode. I know last week we said that and it turned out to be an hour, but we had fun doing that episode. But this one is going to be uh, kind of short and we're going to have a little fun. We're going to talk about rotten tomatoes. I'm going to give you my initial thoughts on uh the live action one piece because it actually is very good and i am going to tell you uh what we're going to do with that uh coming up later on but we're also going to have a little fun because we're going to talk about 80s cartoons villains yeah that's going to be a fun topic and i'm going to tell you why that why that came up but for right now let's get started with our news recap for the week So let's start the news today by saying goodbye, farewell, and rest in peace to two legendary voices from the world of music. Up first, we have American singer-songwriter Jimmy Buffett. Now, I'm pretty sure everybody, I don't care how young you are, you you will know him from the song Margaritaville. I'm pretty sure your parents, grandparents, uncles, or you've been on a cruise somewhere and they've played this song to death. It is just a fun song, uh, and I'm pretty sure you've heard uh, the saying, it's five o'clock somewhere. Well, that came from Jimmy Buffett from uh, the song of the same title. But he's also known for songs like Trip Around the Sun, uh, Volcano, Come Monday, Bama Breeze. He was just a really good songwriter. Men like him don't come along very often. A lot of his music I heard as a child uh, from my parents. But I came to love Jimmy Buffett as I got older because a lot of his music was uh, just about uh, being a normal person and dealing with normal everyday struggles. And and the fact that you like to enjoy a drink shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't have people looking down on you. And of course, the other person that we are going to say goodbye to is the leader of Smash Mouth. Their lead singer Steve Harwell. Um, I everybody knows Smash Mouth. I that this is another one of those people where I don't care how old you are, you know their songs. Obviously, the song All Star comes to mind as soon as you heard it. It was a hit when I was in high school in 1999, uh, my, my senior year, and then it had a resurgence. The entire band and that song 
uh, thanks to the Shrek movies, not just the first one, uh, but all of them, because that song continued to be played uh, through through the entire Shrek franchise at one point or another. Uh, it was said by Steve Harwood that the first time that they recorded uh, um, All Star, he knew it would be an all time great song. And it, it is very, very true. That song will stick around forever. It is such a fun song. No matter how many times I hear it, I always sing it. Um, and, and not only that, but also in the Shrek movie, uh, they had um, the cover of the monkey song I'm a believer yeah, that was just another good song too uh, we're gonna miss both of them it's just uh, another reminder is I get older all my heroes are going goodbye hard way to move on from that but we shall carry on as we always do if you are still a fan of the mcu which i am and i am not i'm not going to give up my mcu movies anytime soon uh even though they aren't actually filming anything and they aren't uh writing anything obviously with both of the strikes going on um marvel is still moving forward with casting and uh getting everything they can in place so when if the strikes do come to an end uh let's just say when and when they come to an end because i'm pretty sure they will at some point um, they can just jump right back into the fire and get to making movies again well this may interest you very much if you are still a fan and if you are looking forward to it so uh dr strange is going to get a third movie we know that we know who the villain is going to be and that's going to be dormammu now obviously dormammu is a demon uh from another realm and he's going to need a voice actor he's definitely and that voice actor is now being said to be Denzel Washington. Now, you would think, why would somebody of Denzel's ilk, someone of his fame, why would he possibly want to do a MCU movie? Number one, because it's Disney behind it and Disney writes big fat checks and nobody's going to turn down good money. But it is the, the director that is having Denzel Washington look very hard at uh, doing, the, doing the voice for Dormammu in this uh third doctor strange movie and it is said to be sam raimi coming back to do the third movie in this uh trilogy for doctor strange if you're telling me this third movie is going to have dormammu as the villain with denzel washington as the voice and sam raimi directing especially after the, the last doctor strange movie with sam uh um sam raimi directing it sign me up for that i i i truly i i don't I know i don't know how the movie would turn out but i trust i trust denzel with acting I trust Sam Raimi with directing. Um, there was nothing wrong with the second Sam, uh, with his second Doctor Strange movie. I thought it was really good. Not as good as the first, in my opinion, but pretty much equal to uh, the first one. But it was still just a really, both of them are still just really good movies. So I can't wait for that to happen if that actually does happen. Um, it was said that um, Denzel Washington was supposed to join uh, the Fantastic Four movie at some point and be the voice of Galactus. Now, I... I personally would rather have him be the voice of Dormammu. And I have some other ideas to the voice of Galactus. Keith David, anybody? Yeah, how about we have Keith David do the voice of Galactus and we move forward with Denzel Washington doing the voice of uh, Dormammu. To me, that sounds uh, a bit more sensible. So let's give a shout out to Kevin Eastman and each of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's Michelangelo, Raphael, Donatello, and leader Leonardo. All five of those individuals will have their names and fingerprints immortalized in the TCL Man's Chinese Theater out in California. And hey, look, 
after almost 40 years, it'll be 40 years next year of, of existence, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have brought together many generations uh, through comics and cartoons and film, and they just continue to be a force in the American uh, in the American psyche. Uh, it's much deserved. But my question is, where is Peter Laird? Why is Peter Laird not being honored with them? He is co-creator. He still writes and draws uh, comics and strips for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. As a matter of fact, uh, after so long of not talking to each other, Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman got together and they uh, re just re released uh, The Last Ronin just last year. So Peter Laird is very much part of that group. So uh, they need to be putting his name uh, and fingerprints down in, in concrete right alongside Kevin Eastman because he is one half of the brainchild that came up with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So uh, whatever, whoever I need to write a letter to or say something to, just let me know and I will definitely get my get my words out there for it if you are a fan of hayao miyazaki well i got some good news for you so just earlier this year we got what was supposed to be his his final film the boy and the heron which by the way really good film but you shouldn't be surprised because hayao miyazaki is just that damn good every single thing he has ever put out uh, written for anime has just been phenomenal to watch and and just an experience every single time out well the story is now that he's not actually going to retire. So the story goes that after the release of the film, he sat around uh, just enjoying the fact that people were enjoying the, the boy and the heron. And then when he went into the office of what was supposed to be him clearing out his office at, at where the, the studio he works at, he walked in, called in three secretaries and another and another writer and got to jotting down new ideas for new films. And the word got out now that he is not going to retire. He is going to keep making films and that is good to, for me that's great anybody who's into anime and you know Hayao Miyazaki you know him from House Moving Castle Totoro uh, what else Kiki's uh, what, what was it Kiki's Delivery Service all that all the films he's ever done they've always been good and we've always said whether well, the day he retires it's going to be a, just a huge blow to the anime community where that day is not the day he's not retiring so whatever he's going to come up with next i'm pretty sure it's going to be absolutely fantastic so i can't wait to see what he what he gives us horror fans you can rejoice because if you were a fan of that first winnie the pooh blood and honey movie well you're going to be happy because now you're getting a winnie the pooh blood and horror blood and honey part two i have no idea why they are making a part two to that horrible horrible movie don't get me wrong i sat and watched it and i just died laughing at just how ridiculously stupid the movie was sometimes that's all you need but there was no need for a sequel and they are about to make one so god help us all i don't know when the film's coming out when it does come out i will probably have to go and watch it just for shits and giggles and i'll let you know what i think of it so I know at the top of the news, we celebrated two passings, but how about we uh, swing back and celebrate three birthdays? So just over the past couple of weeks, we've celebrated the 57th anniversary of the beginning of Star Trek. And as, as a matter of fact, uh, today is Friday and just yesterday on the uh, on the 7th, we celebrated the uh, third. We celebrate the 57th uh, anniversary of Star Trek with Star Trek Day. Uh, I have a little post up on uh, Instagram if you want to go and look at it. Um, also celebrating its 30th anniversary, the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers series, the Americanized version. Now we know that the uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers is a take 
and a use of uh, Japanese footage from the Super Sentai series. So that series been around a lot longer, but the Americanized version, MMPR, the original, the OGs with Jason and Zach and, and Trini and all of them, that's 30 years old this year. And uh, they we just celebrated that about a week or so ago. And uh, oddly enough, I didn't know until this morning when it finally, it finally came across my desk nightmare before christmas is now 30 years old and god i feel a hell of a lot older than i did before knowing that i didn't know it's been that long since nightmare before christmas dropped but yes it is now 30 years old and disney is obviously celebrating such a huge huge film uh in their repertoire uh i don't know if they're going to re-release it in theaters if they do i will probably go to the theater and see that in theaters that was that is such a great movie uh it's pr probably the only movie i know that is appropriate during christmas and during halloween right <laughs> seriously uh yeah if it is in theaters i'll let you know as a matter of fact i'll probably do a video about going to see it and what that uh movie actually means to me because it is a that movie nightmare before christmas is such a big big deal to me so can we all just take a moment to stand up and clap for Iman Vellani? If you don't know the name, I'm pretty sure you know the face. She is the young lady that has been playing Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel in the series and will be in the new movie, The Marvels, uh, when it debuts. Can we just stand up and clap for her? Because if you know her story, you know that she was a huge Kamala Khan fan growing up from the moment she read the first comic book that she can get her hands on. And she prayed and put into the atmosphere and manifested that maybe one day she could actually be Kamala Khan in a film. And lo and behold, here she is after all these years. But now she's taking a step further. The new Kamala Khan series in comics in which now Kamala Khan has died, but now she's being resurrected by mutants as a mutant and that's all i'm going to tell you about the story you need to go buy it yourself and read it i will be doing that the same but that series is being led by kamala by kamala khan herself iman Vellani. is she is the lead writer on the series and i can't be happier when when stuff like this happens for nerds when they are just so into something that the universe says you know what not only do I want you to, to be a part of it, but I want you because you embody it. I need you to be part of it. I just love when stuff like that, like this happens for all the nerds around the world. So I want to manifest that somehow or another, uh, somebody from Hollywood understands how much I love a specific property that I want to see be made into a film. I won't tell you what that is just yet. So I'm going to finish this script and I'm putting it out there into the universe that somebody somehow or another sees me or hears my voice and wants to get this movie made i know it'll happen for me just like it happened for iman Vellani. but that is such a cool story that she's actually writing this comic book series so uh, i'm like i said i'm going to go buy it i'm going to read it and i hope it's good and i'll let you know whether it's good or not if you are anywhere near my age, you remember the film The Crow uh, that debuted back in 1994. Uh, if you don't, that is the film about the young man from the Detroit, Michigan, my hometown, uh, where he gets killed in gang violence, but then he is resurrected as The Crow, a superhero, and he decides to troll around uh, and uh, hunt down the people who killed him. Uh, during uh, what we used to call Devil's Night here in Detroit. Uh, we don't actually have that anymore and have not had uh, fires or destruction like that in quite a few years. So shout out to my city. Um, well, there is a reboot of the film and it will be uh, Bill Skarsgård um, playing that, that title role that Brandon Lee had all those years ago. Um, I, got, I got three things to, to, to say about this reboot. Number one, I don't know if it's going to be any as good as the original. The original was a B flick right off the bat. 
but it became a cult hit because the it actually is that good it's one of those few films that was not heavy on the budget but it was just a labor of love and it became a cult classic and it's just a really good movie there was no need to ever remake this movie the original was almost perfect as it was uh i hate the fact that uh brandon lee didn't uh live long enough uh especially after the film because he died after the accident uh on the set of that film I hate the fact that he didn't uh, uh ha he wasn't able to be around to see just how uh uh big the impact of that film that role that he did had on uh on film nuts like myself and other nerds uh, uh floating around now will it be as good as that one i i i highly doubt it i doubt if i like this uh reboot as much as that one but the interesting thing is that this film is being picked up this is the second thing out of the three this film is being picked up and it will be uh, done and distributed and uh, everything by Lionsgate, right? So Lionsgate is a small studio. And this is the third thing. They're not a part of the AMPTP, which means that they can release movies. They can have people come work on the set because they have interim agreements in place with the WGA and SAG after, which means that everything that SAG and uh, the WGA wanted, they're willing to pay their uh, writers and their actors exactly what um, what they are asking for. The same ones that they, all the studios, the bigger studios that are part of the AMPTP are shooting down and saying, we're not giving it to you. So that tells you that the amount that they're asking for actually isn't that substantial in the grand scheme of movie making. These other large studios are just hardball, cheap bastards that don't want to do the right thing. So people can have just uh, so regular, normal, smaller actors, not your big names like Tom Cruise and Denzel and Tom Hanks and all them normal everyday actors can actually have just a normal working wage basically right exactly what every uh, every laborer in this country every middle class person in this country is fighting for especially with so many strikes going on um that third thing that, yeah that the fact that it's being picked up by Lionsgate and being distributed and the amptp don't they they all have all the money with all these large studios but the smaller studios like Lionsgate and a24 who continues to release movies great movies over the past year I don't understand why the bigger studios just won't go ahead and pay it. And then you have the story where uh, WB Discovery are saying that the amount of money that they're going to lose is going to be uh, because of the two strikes that are going on now and, and, and likely to be a couple of more strikes uh, come soon. That the money that they're going to lose is going to be anywhere between 10 to 15 times more than what the WGA and the uh, SAG after was asking from all studios combined. So if basically they had put the things in place that the WGA and SAG after wanted, they would not have lost as much. They would not have lost anywhere near as much money as they're going to lose. And when I say that WB discovery is going to lose money, it's not that they're going to lose 10 to 15 times what WGA and SAG were asking they're going to lose 10 to 15 times what the WGA and SAG was asking from all the studios. So just say that that all the studios, if they had had they, had they paid up, they were all going to pay uh, $10 million in in right for all of these upgrades and, and these financial benefits for uh, writers and actors. Just say it just just around number $10 million. What just WB Discovery is going to lose 10 to 15 times that 10 that 10 million just them lord have mercy that it, it 
it the numbers don't even lie the amptp are, are just cheap and they just need to do the right thing and pay their writers and their uh, actors and stop worrying about ai especially when you start to think about things like uh star trek and uh mighty Morphin power rangers and um uh what i was just talking about oh nightmare before christmas all of these things are hitting 30 years and 40 years and a damn near 60 years these things came from the brainchild of writers and they were brought and delivered to us not by cgi and not by ai but by real people ai and cgi can never and i mean never recreate what humans can put down on paper everything won't be home runs but the vast majority of them are the amptp needs to just let let the nonsense go get rid of this not get rid of this idea of leaning on ai to write scripts because it will never be able to duplicate what a person can do and what a person can write in order to connect with other humans to get them to pay to watch movies so that's just my two cents on the whole matter <laughs> If you are a fan of Spy Kids, then the reboot will be coming out on September 22nd on Netflix this month. And as a fan of the original Spy Kids, I'm going to say boo. Nobody asked for this. Stop trying to remake movies that don't need to be remade. Yes, I know. Robert Rodriguez helped do the originals and he's doing this one and I still don't want to see it. I am so sick and tired of doing reboots and remakes. I get it. There's nothing new under the sun, but sometimes you just don't need to you don't need to go to the well um every five minutes with the same old shit i'm sorry to say it that way but that's the truth hollywood is losing their damn mind doing all these remakes and reboots don't get me wrong there have been a few that i thought were really good but the vast majority of remake remakes and reboots are just trash so let's end the news today talking about godzilla and i am not talking about the uh series that is coming to apple plus tv i am talking about the og godzilla i'm talking about the man in the rubber suit type of godzilla the ones i grew up with through the 80s and when and much before then that type of godzilla now there is a new movie called godzilla minus one that is coming to theaters on december 1st this year and trust me once you see the trailer you may understand exactly why i am so damn excited to see this movie it very much feels and looks like the old school godzilla this is not the type of godzilla that is here to fight kaiju for us and be the king of monsters and live alongside us and keep us uh in somewhat uh safety no 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 no, no. this is the godzilla that is a damn terror does not give a damn about humans and is just here to do its own thing and if you get caught underfoot well then god god bless you so you got to go that's the type of godzilla i want to see when they say king of monsters this godzilla is going to be a monster if you want to see the trailer it is over on the insta over on our instagram page at the underscore tweakle underscore pod there will be a link directly over to our instagram page uh in the in the description for this podcast so you can go and watch it um that will be all the news for the day like i said go and check out our instagram page at the underscore tweakle underscore pod again uh i'm going to take a moment i'm going to grab a cup of coffee and when i come back after this break we're going to talk real quick about the live action one piece in the original jurassic park movie we overhear and we see dr malcolm say of john hammond's vision and the fact that he delivered live breathing dinosaurs he did it the crazy son of a bitch he did it and it is the truth 
when it comes to Aichirai Oda when he took his beloved One Piece series from anime to live action. And watching it, you can understand why so many people are knocking down the doors and kicking over everything that they could possibly uh, get within reach about how good the series is. It is that good. For a series that is so deep within character development with pretty much every character, whether they're side character, main character, third, fourth, fifth character, characters that do matter and don't matter. Every single character has some sort of backstory because every character figures into the main storyline in some way, shape, or form. For so much story, for so much of a series that is 1,100 episodes long, you would think that turning it from anime in into a live action would be almost impossible but leave it to the creator the man who had put so much of his time love effort and passion into it leave it up to him to be able to do it and he did do it the crazy son of a bitch he did it i personally am not the biggest one piece fan i have sat and watched maybe three seasons of it and then i let it go I was intending on picking it back up and following it for however long it ran. But by the time I had caught up with it, I had missed almost 300 episodes. And I said, forget it. I am not going to be able to catch up. So I'm not going to continue to watch it. Now, I have kept up here and there learning of what is going on in the series. And here we are almost 1200 episodes deep and it is still going on. I personally have said for years that I believe that when one piece comes to an end, it is not going to be a satisfactory ending. We're going so far as to basically have Luffy find one gold coin in the chest and a note from, from Goldie Rogers saying, my greatest treasure was not the money that we made by being uh, pirates, but it was the fact that I was on the open seas with a crew and friends and family that I love. I think that's how the series is going to end. And it's going to be very, what's the word I'm looking for? Very much of a letdown. Let's just say it like that. But that's me. I'm not a huge fan of the series. So I can't sit here and say, well, this is the greatest live action adaptation of an anime because I haven't watched the entire series. I know enough to know for a fact that what we have on Netflix, this eight episode run is pretty much anywhere between 45 and 50 of the episodes. Yes, they skipped a few things. Yes, they left some things out for expedience sake, because you can't tell everything that is in one piece in an eight episode series. It's impossible. There's too much of it. So much of one piece is filler, whether fans of the series want to admit it or not. But I can say this from what I remember of one piece in the, um, those beginning episodes versus what I see here in this live action adaptation. The original creator of this series, the man who decided to helm this live action adaptation, did the job that so many other um, so many other directors for live action adaptations of anime have failed to do. He was able to recreate his characters visual visually. He was able to recreate them auditorily. He was able to recreate them and their power sets for a lot of anime will have power sets, but he was able to recreate all of that. Almost flawlessly, he was able to take an anime and turn it into a live action adaptation and set the bar even higher than many other adaptations have done. Now, I will personally say this is still not the best live action adaptation that we've ever seen. I have maybe three above it, but that is not to say that it is not good. Quite honestly, and 
quite assuredly that so many others will tell you, this live adaptation is great. It is more than good. If you have never watched One Piece, then I would say watch this. And I would, I'm pretty sure you will become a fan so much so that you will want to go and watch the anime, even if it is almost 1,200 episodes deep and you would need to catch up for it. You don't need to go watch the anime to watch this, which is a feat unto itself. But if you do find yourself watching this series and you say, hey, should I go and watch the anime? And I'm just going to ask you, what well, did you like the live action series? If you say yes, then yeah, go watch the, go watch the anime. I'm pretty sure you're going to like it. If you are like me and you say, hey, 1200 episodes is a little bit too much. I don't think I want to invest that much time and effort into it. Then that's okay. Also watch the live action, watch the live action adaptation from Netflix and just know that a second season has already been greenlit and actually already has been written. HNI Oda has, has in fact confirmed that the second season is completely written, completely ready to go. All he is waiting for is waiting for the WGA and the SAG after strikes to end so he can get to work because although he, he himself and many of the actors that are in this are not part of those unions and don't have to abide by them. He has said he is not willing to walk across the picket line. Remember, this was actually already done and ready to go before those strikes started, which is why you are able to see them now on Netflix instead of them being held back. And here the man is saying he's not going to walk across the picket line. So Netflix, you should start paying attention. But that's another that's another story for another time. But yeah, this live action adaptation is fantastic. But there is so much more to dig into. Because whether I say it's fantastic or not means nothing. Because I am not a fan. We need a fan's perspective of the series. Of the actual anime series versus this live action adaptation to really dig into it. And next week. That's what we're going to do. So mark your calendars next week. Willie will be in the studio with me and he will be telling me everything that is right about this series. But like I said, to me, this is still not the best live action adaptation. I have a few above them and we will be going over all of those as well. When he joins me here in the vault, I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about rotten tomatoes and why they are rotten to the core. When I tell you I am an 80s baby, I mean that wholeheartedly. I am the living embodiment of 80s baby, 90s raised me. I'm talking about Tamagotchi, <laughs> Chia Pets, you know, Saturday morning cartoons, Soul Train at noon, running home to see cartoons in the afternoon up until about five o'clock, doing homework just to run back outside for three hours, not allowed to come inside the house, drinking out of the water holes. Being on your bike gone all day long type of kid. That was me. And one of the things I learned being in the 80s is that when somebody speaks, you take them at their word. But also you verify what they say. Just because they say it doesn't necessarily mean they, they actually mean it. It's trust but verify. Something that most military folks will know right off the bat. I learned that from my uncle, by the way. So... Whenever I hear people talking about Rotten Tomato scores, about how good a film is based on those scores, I always take it with a grain of salt. I look at it and I say, okay, that's what they think, but are they right? I always question or not whether most of these film critics are actually on the up and up. 
the last time I actually listened to a movie critic, whether in print or on TV, and I actually trusted their word that what they said was absolutely what they believed. And they believed it unequivocally and there was no shenanigans behind the scenes making them say the things they said. There's only two men I actually believed growing up like that. Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. If you are my age, you know exactly who those men are. If you're not, look them up. Those two men sat on TV for God knows how long and wrote for the Chicago Sun and talked about film day in, day out for my entire childhood. Gene Siskel passed away in 1999. Roger Ebert passed away in 2013. Ever since that 2013 passing, I haven't really paid attention to any movie critic. If I want to see a film, I'll go see it. If I like it, I like it. If I don't, I don't. Now, I learned how to do that because I grew up in the 80s. You had Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, true. But even them, even though I trusted them almost implicitly, I still went to see a movie and made up my own mind. But I did look out for the things that they would talk about. And maybe that helped form my opinion. Because for sure as hell, it helped me learn to love film almost as much as they did, maybe even more. But lately, all these films with Rotten Tomato scores, and they tell you that, no, these movies are bad. Or these movies are good. And I look and I see the films and I'm saying, no. This movie sucked and this movie was good and these Rotten Tomato scores are completely backward. I got to wondering, well, why the hell does anybody actually listen to any of these scores? Because let's be quite honest, most of the people that are film critics used to work for newspapers and newspapers are a dead thing. Everybody's online. Everybody has their own website, their own click-through page for Instagram, or Facebook, or X or Twitter or whatever they call it now. I would love to be a movie critic and do what they do. At least I know for a fact I would be 100% honest. I don't need anybody to pay me to tell you how much I love a film or how much I dislike it. I do it because I love film. End of story. But then a story came across my desk earlier this week and I have been laughing my ass off ever since reading it. According to the story, uh, Rotten Tomatoes has been paid for all of their all of their views, not just for a film here and there. Ever since they were bought out in 2010, this is almost 13 years now, going on 14 years. Every single one of their reviews for a film, good or bad, they've been paid to say these things, and that really bothers me. What is the point of being paid to say something about a film? whether good or bad. And then I looked it up. I looked it up to see, well, who owns it? I looked it up to see who owns it because my dad said, if you want to know how a thing operates or why a thing operates, follow the money. And since January of 2010, Rotten Tomatoes has been owned by Flickster. Now, you may not know the name, but Flickster has been around for a while. They pretty much do what Netflix does, but at the same time, they, they do the same thing like Fandango. And it's funny that they do the same thing like Fandango because when they were bought out by Flick, when Rotten Tomatoes were bought out by Flickster, they were turned around and they were bought out by Warner Brothers in 2011. And then in 2016, they became a part of Flickster still and they were sold to Comcast Fandango. Remember, Comcast owns Fandango. And Fandango turned around and bought out Rotten Tomatoes. 
Now, see, Warner Brothers still owns a minority state in the two that have been merged. And now you understand why I say this is all bullshit. Good or bad, no matter what you see on Rotten Tomatoes, has been paid for. They aren't honest reviews. And I've always wondered why people listen to these things off of Rotten Tomatoes when it's obvious that somehow or another it was skewed. Like I said, whether good or bad, everything was skewed one way or another. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. But now with this story, and now me reading about actually who owns Rotten Tomatoes, now I see why I didn't like them. Sometimes you just have a feeling in the pit of your stomach. So you don't listen to everybody else. You need to listen to yourself. And I'm glad I listened to myself a long time ago, and I never trusted anything that came off of Rotten Tomatoes. So here, let me tell you this. If you ever want to know something about a film, if you ever want to know something about a TV show, a series on some streaming site, if you ever want to hear me talk about it, ask me. If I haven't seen it, I'll watch it and I'll give you my honest to God opinion. Nobody has to pay me to say these things. Yes, I do a podcast about films, and anime and music and everything else. And I have opinions. But my opinions are because I enjoy watching them. I enjoy interacting with the media. You don't have to pay me to do it. Although doing the podcast, I do get paid because hey, I'm on Spotify. I have people listening to me. I said many a time, I don't endeavor to be first. I endeavor to be right. But now you can add that I endeavor to be completely honest. I'll be right back. All right, so let's have a little fun, shall we? Um, so I was at work, and I was talking to Willie, and I was talking to another friend of mine at work, Wayne, and we were talking about 80s cartoon villains, of all things. And um, he gave me a list uh, from uh, some other website, and they were given a list of uh, of the of the best anime villains, their, their top 10. And I was reading through this list, and I was looking at it, and I said, this list isn't correct. They left off so many. And uh, a couple of them, I didn't like the order in which they were in. So I sat down and I thought about it. I put some thought into it and I was trying to think, so how would I come up with my own list? Now, I have a top 10, but I'm not going to go through my top 10. I'm going to go through my top five and give you 80s villains that I I think honestly kind of embodies everything about villainy within the 80s and even into the 90s and the 2000s because they were just villains that well. And I'll tell you exactly why I uh, I picked each of these villains. So at number five, I have Miles Mayhem from the series Mask. Now, if you don't know the series, I'm not surprised. Mask was a very, a very fun series, but very few people watched it. It was kind of a weird concept in which uh, this organization called Mask have these masks that you wear and you are able to control these weaponized vehicles that have dual modes, right? You have a car and then the doors would open like gold wings and then the car could fly. And then the mask itself would have some sort of weapon system like firing a laser or spitting acid of, of all the weirdest things. But the villain of the story, Miles Mayhem, he always had a team that could very much do damage. And even though obviously the, the good guys always won, Miles Mayhem was such a good character uh, because he was everything about him. He was totally committed. And the way they wrote it, 
uh, wrote him, he was totally committed to what he was doing in the show. And they didn't allow him to pull punches. He was a mean guy. He was a bad guy. And you knew it right from Jump Street. And he maintained that character all the way up until the series end. Now, the main th reason why I put him at number five is his backstory. So, so many of these cartoons uh, in the 80s, they had backstories to them. And if you look them up, you would understand why so many of the characters are the way they are. So, the main uh, good guy in the Mass series is named, uh, what was his name? Uh, Matt Tracker. Now, Matt Tracker and Miles Mayhem actually used to work on the same team, the Mask team now at some point and this is why i like miles's story so much uh miles mayhem's story so much as a villain at some point miles decides that he wants to have the mask weapon system these masks and these vehicles with dual modes to himself in order to do whatever the hell he wants to do it he doesn't want to work for the government and the mass system so in order to get as many masks as he could he murders matt tracker's brother in cold blood that's in the backstory for Miles Mayhem. That's not a that's not a story. That is I had to look that up and I just to make sure I wasn't crazy because I remembered that, which is why one of the reasons why I wanted to watch the series. That backstory is incredibly dark. That is probably the darkest backstory for a villain from any story uh, of any cartoon in, from the 80s. Uh, and I'm telling you that just that backstory has him on my list. Uh, going up the list to number four, we have Serpentor from uh, the G.I. Joe series. Now, Serpentor is a very weird character, but a very awesome character at the same time. Now, remember, he is not a character that is born like you and me. He was genetically made from the uh, genetic material of some of the greatest conquerors in the history of mankind uh people like alexander the great and genghis khan and caligula all these people their genetic material was sought after and found by uh, uh cobra commander and cobra and given to dr mindbender to run this experiments and the experiment together created serpentor and serpentor for lack of a better term is completely insane I love his character. I love the fact that he is completely single-minded, but juxtaposed to Cobra Commander, the original head villain for the G.I. Joe series, he is much more vicious, right? Cobra Commander is mean. He's mean-spirited. He's scheming. He is evil, but the brutality and the viciousness that is missing in Cobra Commander is very much embodied in Serpentor. The fact that the man had snakes, living snakes wrapped around his neck and they were basically, and you didn't know that they were living snakes until he commanded them to move. And they just looked like ornaments for his shoulder pads for the cape that he wore. Yeah, this dude was completely insane. The fact that he could take a snake and make it stretch out and be stiff like a spear. And he threw it at uh, Falcon in the in the, in the the G.I. Joe movie, but hit Duke and put Duke into a coma. The man, Serpentor, was just a fantastic character. Does not get enough love when you talk about G.I. Joe series and characters in general, whether villain or hero uh, at all from 80s cartoons. Going up the list now, number three is kind of a weird one, but you have to allow me leeway and I'll tell you why. There's three names at number three and I put them all together. Mumra from the Thundercats, Skeletor from He-Man, and whether you know it or not, Monstar from the Silverhawks. Now, there's a reason why I put all three together. That's because if you look at the characterization of all of three of these characters, they're actually the same. All three series 
they aren't in the same universe, although the creators for them all worked at the same studio. And they all said that had the time been right, had they had the chance, all three would have been connected in a massive film to connect all three of those series together. And I would have loved to see Thundercats, especially Thundercats and uh, Silverhawks cross over. Most people do not understand how good Silverhawks was as a series. It ran for two seasons, 60 some odd episodes. I want to say 64 or 68, one of the other fantastic series. If you've never watched it, all of the episodes are online on YouTube. You can watch them now for free, pretty much. Um, we all know He-Man and Skeletor, just a, a complete loser. But the man was just, he, he was part of the He-Man, just hate everybody club, right? He just didn't like nobody. Everybody was just trying to, everybody in Eternia was just trying to live their life with their technology. And he that was just enough for him to hate everybody. And what can you say about Mumra? Hated the Thundercats. His transformation, the same, he had the same transformation that you saw within uh, Monstar from the Silverhawks. And though Skeletor himself did not have some overt transformation, you could still say that he did have some transformation that does kind of put him in the same category with them. But the one thing that really goes across the board for all three, looking at them, all of them are grotesque looking villains, which was very very different for most uh cartoon villains throughout the 80s those three themselves were the were the most three monstrous looking i mean hell you even got one named monstar like you know monster i mean it was the 80s you know this you didn't need to be over the top and come up with creative names you just had to be cool sounding either way i put all three of those together because they're the same but definitely if you've never seen silverhawks go watch silverhawks at number two is Megatron from the Transformers series. And I know you're thinking to yourself, if he's number two, who is number one? I'll get to that in a second. But Megatron is at number two, and he's on this list for two reasons. Number one, singularly minded, Megatron is probably the most, he is the scariest of all the villains. He has a goal in mind. Nothing will get in his way, even if that means sacrificing the lives of those on his team. Megatron is not to be underestimated in any sense of the word. And when you look at the original series, there's only one character that actually transforms into a weapon, right? And as silly as it sounds, you would have your main villain transform into a gun, which would kind of be in the same thing as having uh, Darth Vader transform into his own lightsaber and having somebody else swing him around. The fact that he has so much power, that he would trans, he's the only one that would transform into a gun while everybody else transform into a vehicle. And he says, just aim me, shoot me, and kill everything in my way. He is so powerful that when all of the other Transformers in the film on his side, all of the other Decepticons were wrecked and, and completely destroyed, he was reformatted and he was still reformatted into a gun. He was reformatted into a cannon emplacement. That's how powerful and how insanely nuts Megatron is. He is not the one to mess with those two reasons themselves just puts Megatron up there. But the fact that once you really dig into the backstory and understand that Megatron was fighting specifically to keep the Cybertronians out of slavery from their original creators, the Quintessons that is something that makes me want to like, Hey, you know, I might want to start rooting for this guy. Right. 
I'm like, yeah, I may not like his, his the way he's going about it, but at least his aims are true. I look, I'll, I find myself rooting for villains a lot of times. And if you're going to root for a villain, Megatron is absolutely a villain you can root for. Number one on this list, and I know I'm going to get some flack for it, but I, after I like, I'll explain why he's number one, you will understand why. Number one on this list of my villains from 1980s uh, cartoons, Gargamel from the Smurfs. Now, I know what you're thinking. All of these other villains on this list, Gargamel is probably the most, what's the word I'm looking for? The most flappable, right? He is the one that almost never succeeds. Notice I said almost never succeeds. See, here's the thing that most people need to understand. Gargamel was not out to get the Smurfs simply because they were annoying. No, 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 no. Gargamel was out to get these Smurfs because he was eating them, right? Of all the things you could possibly do with a Smurf when you, when you catch them, he was trying to eat them. This man is literally, for a kid's cartoon, is actively committing genocide against an entire race of, of small creatures. Gargamel is nuts. He's insane. He's a psychopath. Of all the villains that we talked about on this list, Gargamel is actually the only one trying to commit genocide. Like, yes, Megatron has killed other Cybertronians, but he's not trying to kill all of them. He's just trying to get everybody to understand his aim and get them on his side. And when you actually read into the lore, Optimus was on Megatron's side for a long time. And he's still not trying to kill everybody. Gargamel is trying to kill every last one of them so he can eat them. And when you dig into the actual lore from what Smurfs are birthed from, the actual story, uh, I want to say it was Nordic or maybe it was um, uh, Swedish. It was one or the other. I can't remember. But as the story was told to me, the Smurfs were uh, the allegory for these little monsters that would eat and kill kids, wayward kids who got lost. And in order to get them and to keep them and uh, to keep them fresh so they could eat them, this, these little creatures that the Smurfs are based on, they would actually get the kids in the middle of winter and trap them in the snow. And the reason why the Smurfs are blue and these little creatures are blue is because when you trap somebody in the snow, they would basically freeze to death and they would turn blue. So these little creatures turn themselves blue to mock the kids that they were catching and eating. Right. So here we have Gargamel chasing down these and Gargamel was actually based on uh, this uh, a wizard. To kind of like he is in the cartoon and in the original comic that he was trying to uh, fight these little creatures to keep the kids safe. That's the original lore from Sweden or Nordic or whatever it was from. I can't remember the exact country at the moment, but now you have the Smurfs and now you have Gargamel fighting these things. So maybe he isn't actually a complete bad guy. Maybe the Smurfs are up to something we don't know about, but still he's out here committing genocide in a kid's cartoon. You can't tell me that's not worse than every other cartoon villain that you can possibly think of. Trust me, if you think of a, a worse one than that, or if you think I'm crazy, hey man, just let me know, and maybe I'll re maybe I'll redo this list and I'll push him down one. But for me, Gargamel is the absolute worst, absolute worst, but best at being worst villain from 1980s cartoons. Uh, a couple honorable mentions that I wanted to add to this list, and they they are lower on the list. Um, Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget. I mean, come on. How can you not love a, a villain that's based on Blofeld from, from the James Bond series, 
right? That's exactly what he's based on. And the other one that I had on here was Mother Brain from uh, Captain N or Captain Nintendo and the uh, the Game Master. I know most people aren't going to remember that cartoon, but you need to watch it if you ever get a chance. Mother Brain was such a fun villain. It, was, it wasn't even the fact that she was like mean and vicious or like she was totally evil. She was just fun to watch her kind of thwart uh, Captain N and uh, his team from uh from that cartoon it was just a lot of fun that cartoon itself and mother brain was a very very good villain but what do you think of the list if you think i'm crazy i'll have the question down in there and, and see if you agree with the list or not i want to take a break when we come back it'll be time for the last call So that's it, and that's all. It's time for the last call. I'm about to go get wasted away again in Margaritaville and hit these back streets because there's so much to see and so much to do. And I guarantee you, if you know exactly what I was talking about, you understand why I said what I said. Um, I wanted to thank each and every single one of you for tuning in and listening to this pokey little podcast. You didn't have to, but you decided to hang with me and hear me talk about the things I wanted to talk about. And I am so, so very grateful. I don't care if it's one, five, ten, hundred, or a thousand of you, even though I am very grateful for the thousand of you uh i'm just so happy that you all decided to uh hang out with me our weekend watch list is kind of long but it is full of a lot of fun stuff so uh let's get started there it's not in any particular order like we usually do and i'm not going to label which one is the anime pick or animation pick i should say or our throwback pick of the week or anything like that i just want you i'm just giving you some stuff that you can watch that i particularly am going to watch this weekend so maybe you want to keep up with me uh first of first up is a uh, king of killers that is that is a new film starring Frank Grillo. Now, I knew this film was coming out. I thought it was going directly to theaters. Maybe they pulled it, but it's on digital. You can go download it, watch it wherever you decide you want to watch it. I'm not going to tell you where to watch it. I am not in the habit of anymore of telling you which uh, streaming site to have, or maybe you know some other way to get it just like I do. I won't say what it is, but I'm pretty sure you know what it is. Um, but yeah, it, it, it sounds like a completely ridiculous movie, but it, it sounds fun at the same time. So thanks, Willie, for uh, reminding me that it was out. Um, Frank Grillo is, is a hitman, and he decides to hire other hitmans to try and kill him and pay them $10 million uh, if they're able to do it in order to keep his skills sharp. And so mayhem is going to ensue. I can't wait to watch that. I like Frank Grillo, so and I think this movie is going to be completely ridiculous, but ridiculous in a good way. Uh, the martial art flick from 2009 called Chocolate. Now, this is going to be a foreign film. It's going to be uh, subtitled, uh, but I'm pretty sure it'd be easy to follow. So apparently this little girl, and I remember this film, and I'm, I'm telling you this from memory. Uh, I just happened to see it on Tubi. I'm, like, I'm, I'm not I'm not pumping Tubi, but you know Tubi's, Tubi's a pretty good thing to have. Uh, but, you know, little girl is, uh, she's homeless, and all she does is watch these martial arts flicks. So she becomes this very violent criminal on the streets in order to survive and to gain money, gain money in order to pay for her mother's surgery or whatever. And it it is a, just a, a good martial arts flick. It's it's a lot of fun. If you've never seen it, watch Chocolate. It is a very good movie. Um, Wicked City, 1987 anime horror flick. Now, Wicked City is one of those animes that if you've never seen it, once you watch it, it is going to stick with you for as long as you live. When I tell you that this is a horror anime, you might not want to watch it this weekend save it for when halloween rolls around and really get into it but me i watch horror anything any time of the year and i just happen to have wicked city on dvd so if you, i'm pretty sure you can find it on on so many other streaming sites uh, but i will be watching that this weekend 
still in the horror category from 2003 gothica that started uh, starred Halle Berry but it also starred Charles S. Dutton and Robert Downey Jr. it is such a good good movie I want to explain to you uh, the synopsis but it'll give away so much of the movie just trust me to me personally it is top three of one of Halle Berry's best movies and that's saying something because she's been in a lot of good movies right but Gothica is up there it is such a such a good movie and I am going to re-watch the live action uh, One Piece series again so when Willie stops by the vault and we get to talking about it next week it is fresh in my mind and I suggest you go and watch it yourself and then try to watch as many of the uh, first first few episodes, maybe up to episode 50 of One Piece. They're not very long, so you can get through them and get up to 50 pretty fast. But um, that's it. And that is all. Again, thank you very much for listening to me. I am going to get out of here. Um, I want you to take care of yourself this weekend, please. Physically, mentally, spiritually, everything. Take care of you. Take care of yourself. Take care of those around you, your friends and your family. Do not do anything to hurt them or yourself. You know what to do. Dial 988 from that phone if you're feeling trapped and you feel like there's no other way out. Don't don't go that route. Don't have a permanent solution for a temporary problem. I promise you there is somebody there and somebody to listen. Um, but besides that, just know that I, I truly appreciate every single time you listen to this podcast. I am having so much fun doing it. Uh, that those two those two weeks when I was gone, that they, they kind of hurt because I was like, oh, oh, I can do this for a story. And, and I couldn't without because I remember, nope, I'm taking some time away to hang with the family and hang with the wife. So I, I, I apologize for leaving you, but I, I had that I had a great time when I was off. But I am very glad that I do this podcast every Friday. So for my producer, Nikki Rev, you know who I am married to, my wife, my lovely wife. So, so for her and from me, we end this episode the same way we do every single time. God bless. I love you and peace. See you next time. Listening to the Tweakle Podcast.